Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Today, I want to introduce you to Hillary Johnson. She's a serial entrepreneur and business coach. Now, she recognized the unique needs of entrepreneurs for community and support, so she created Hatch Tribe. It's an organization devoted to cultivating and connecting women entrepreneurs across the world. She's also the host of the Art of Doing podcast and the author of A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Startup with Your Mind, Body, and Soul Intact. In this episode, you'll learn how you know if you're ready to start your own business, what Hillary wished she would have done differently at the start of her first business, the most common hurdles that new entrepreneurs face, and why a willingness to endure pain is needed in order to reach your goals. All right, let's jump in on my conversation with Hillary Johnson. Hillary, thanks so much for taking time to join me today. I appreciate it. Of course, I'm happy to be here. So many of the women who listen to our show are either, you know, considering a, a shift or a change in their life and starting a business is one of those possibilities. If you're, you know, you're having the opportunity to speak to them today, how, how do you even know if that's something that you're ready for or not? Oh my gosh. I mean, I wish I could tell you there was like this one shining way to answer that. And, and the truth is there's not, uh, it, that's a, a very gross answer to the question, but there, there, there rarely is a good indicator that yes, it is time. But I would say there's a couple of things that point us typically in the right direction. Um, one is, you know, at least from my past, it was, I was frustrated with the circumstances I was in and it was very much leading me in the direction of wanting to own my own business because I had worked in corporate and was just finding myself at, you know, kind of a breaking point. Like this is not where I want to be anymore. And this is no longer aligned with the life that I want to have. I think too, in order to really be ready for it, you need to have done a significant amount of research. And so it's not the kind of endeavor I would say, let's embark upon this blindly. No, let's spend a year, even if it takes that long, if it takes two years, like do your research before you go full in. And I think three is you need a good runway. Um, and by that, I mean, financially, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have no money in the bank and you're trying to start an endeavor because you do make very poor decisions when you're not well-funded. So maybe you have a year's worth of runway. That's cool because at that point you can make some good decisions. You can get out there and find your way, but don't go into it blind. Don't go into it without at least enough money to get your runway and get your business off the ground and make good decisions. And, you know, do it because it's driven from inside of you that you're feeling really compelled to pursue that path. Mm, so I, I heard from you, let's see, one of your reasons was you were kind of disenchanted, disenchanted from what, what you were doing. Yeah. And you were working for Miller Coors at the time. Is that I right? I was. Yeah. Okay. I had a, a nearly 10 year career working in the beer business. And, you know, from the outside in, people were like, God, you have a great job. And I did. But I also wasn't I wasn't enchanted with it. You know, I reached a point where I was like, gosh, like this isn't my life anymore. Like I'm very much living someone else's definition of success, someone else's definition of what a good life looks like. And, you know, I wanted something different. I wanted a life and I had been moving every one to two years and relocating for my job. And I'm like, when wow. is it going to be me? Like, when am I going to have my feet on the ground and actually have a life that is not just this work? Yeah. Okay. So disenchanted. I definitely have uh, felt that in my own life in different ways. They, they always say that if you're, uh, you probably want to be a leader as well, if you're disenchanted with whatever context you're yeah. in. Uh, the other was um, a lot of research. Um, of course. 
not just on probably how to start a business, but also on the particular area of business that you're wanting to get involved in. A hundred percent. And and for me, that was two years. And, and in part, because I had, I had relocated for my job and I'd moved to Chicago and I had a two year window where if I had moved, I'd have to pay back relocation expenses. So I thought, mm. hmm, good window of time to yeah, start yeah. doing research and get prepared. And, and also being from the South, I was like, man, the Chicago winter weather, not for me, you know, so yeah. it, the, the motivation was high to figure it out. But but yeah, I used that time wisely. So I would come home from my day job and then sit at home at night and research and really try to uncover ideas at first. But then when I landed on the first idea for my first business, it was like, how do I go deep down this path and research this enough to feel really comfortable launching a business and knowing what the heck I'm doing, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. And then you said a year of runway of income. That's a lot. That's a Who does that? A year? I mean, you want to be funded. Yeah. Oh yeah. I had plenty of money to be able to do it. And of course I burned through all of it and then lost a bunch of money, but that's that's what entrepreneurs do. But you know, you get more comfortable with that over time. But I would say, you know, if it's just a side hustle and you're able to start it while you're running your current business, that's great because it gives you a way to start making money and pulling in income during a time when you're pretty well protected. Um, but for other people, you're going to have to leave your job entirely to really mm-hmm. pursue what you want. And I think in that case, you really do want to have more money in the bank because the mistake I see most business owners make, if they're not well-funded, they make decisions from a place of scarcity, mm-hmm. which means they're cutting everything off. They're saying, I can't afford to spend money on marketing. And I'm like, well, then your business is going to fail. Mm-hmm. Or I can't afford to get out and go make these sales calls because I'm spending all my time inside of my business. And I'm like, well, your business is probably not going to make it either. Mm-hmm. So you just, you want to be able to make good decisions. And when we have enough cushion in the bank, we make better decisions. Mm -hmm. It seems like the side hustle path is so common today because you don't have to build up that much uh, runway. Would you say? Without a doubt. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think there's a lot of businesses that, you know, they might generate an extra 10 or $20,000 for you for a year. And that could be awesome. And you may never need to go the route of launching that business full time. And Mm -hmm. I don't discount that for one minute. I mean, with Hatch Tribe, we have plenty of entrepreneurs that are a part of our community and they're side hustlers, but they are just as much as entrepreneur as, as you and I are. Um, and I encourage them to step in and be part of that. And, you know, sometimes you're like, gosh, this is transforming into a full blown business. And I don't want to go do this other job anymore. And then you find your way to exit the one and go fully into the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say are some of the, we, we know all the upsides of the side hustle. I mean, those are, mm-hmm. you know, talked about all over the place. What are some of the downsides of a side hustle? The biggest issue I see is <clears throat> typically um, it gets deprioritized. So, you know, of course it's going to come last after some other things. You have a job, let's say that's paying you full time. And then you have this other thing you're trying to work on the side. Well, it is quote unquote on the side. Yeah. So time is limited. And oftentimes you don't have enough time to really invest in it, to see it grow. Um, and then I think when I hear entrepreneurs say, I want to make this my full time, that transition can be really hard because Oftentimes it comes with a statement of, I want to be able to replace my income a hundred percent before I transition out. And what I've found is that it's not that linear. It's mm-hmm. that we typically have to make the leap out because we haven't freed up enough time. Mm-hmm. So 
we need the time in order to grow the business. So it's that whole time space conundrum and being able to grow a business. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've heard Gary Vaynerchuk, who you are probably aware of, of course, you know, he talks about, you want to stay at your same lifestyle when you make that jump. So it's like, yeah, I still want to be having the four bedroom house as opposed to moving down to the two bedroom apartment you know, and sometimes you got to take that step back in terms of lifestyle, whether it's the car you drive or what you're going out and doing or the, you know, clothes you're wearing or the vacations that you're going on in order to make that jump. Without a doubt. And I think this, those sacrifices, you know, they're not, they're not intended to be permanent. Um, but sometimes those short-term sacrifices are critical, you know, and, I often point entrepreneurs to like small things. It's like, do you need to have cable? You know, could you just let cable go or could you go get your nails done once a month instead of twice a month? You know, and sometimes it's just little things, but when you peel those back, if you can get an extra 500 bucks, but that's 500 bucks to put towards growing your business, go do it, you know, and that's going to help you deliver in the long run in a way that's so much more meaningful than having cable right now. Right, right. And you shouldn't be watching cable anyway. You should be working on your business. That's exactly right. (laughs) All in good balance though, David. Yes, of course. Of course. How would you say that women are uniquely positioned to become entrepreneurs? You know, that's an interesting question. And I don't know if it's, it's, uh, necessarily our gender that positions us well to do it. You know, I would argue that it's more, it's more uh, an internal trait that I see whether you're male, female, non-gender identifying. It's just, do you have that inner drive and that inner grit and especially the self-motivation? Because when we get onto the other side where we're running our own business, what we no longer have is someone telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And if you've gone through your whole life having a manager who's told you what to do and you've played within those guardrails, but you've not been real self-directed and self-motivated, it, the struggle can be very real when you become a business owner. And I think what I like to see is does, does an entrepreneur have that inner drive, you know, do they have the grit and the determination to work through things? Because there's just a lot uh, when you're running your own business, it just takes persistence and nobody else is going to be sitting next to you going like, Hey, you got to go get after it. It's all you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our listeners happen to be, um, women who are making a transition because their children are either going to school at a young age or they're going to college and so they have an empty nest. And one of the things that I'm trying to help women see is that, there are so many entrepreneurial skills that have been developed if they, um, whether they've worked outside the home or not, because all of the management of these details and the coordination of all of these personalities, I have two teenagers, I have a 16 year old and a 19 year old. Yeah. And my wife is a genius at managing the, their different personalities way better than I am. And that could be her personality, could be gender, could be whatever. All I know is, She's amazing. And so, so many women that I see have this unique ability to manage so many things at one time. Mm -hmm. And um, because culturally, or maybe it's just how their relationships have played out, they have stepped into a role where they're oftentimes managing not only their family, but oftentimes even a full-time job. Sure. Lots of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. And to go, no, 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 that that's entrepreneurial in a lot of, Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, so powerful. It's actually really fun. I've, I've, I mean, even on my team right now, I have a, 
her name's Nina and she's our community manager and she's a stay at home mom. And she has a almost two year old. And then she has another baby on the way. And I love working with her. And I've had other team members before who have been moms. And I will tell you, they do bring a certain level of attention to detail, but also like complexity and they're okay handling complexity. So, um, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a generalization, but it is one that I think has been, been often true. And, um, you know, I think all of us bring something unique to the table and it, it and no matter whether you're considering your own skill set or the people that you're putting on your team, it's just kind of looking at what are someone's natural gifts and talents that they show up with and harnessing that. I mean, we, we do well when we can lean into our strengths versus trying to like shore up all these weaknesses all the time. So if someone's a detail person, let's let them rock out on the details, you know, and if the other person's a big picture person, let's let them do that. Like we don't need them to change what they're doing. They might need to understand it, but they don't have to fundamentally change. Yeah. Have you personally gone through the strength finders assessment? Yeah, we actually just did a workshop on it last week inside the member circle. It's one of my favorite things. Okay, tell, tell me what your five top strengths are. Um, I'm not going to remember all of them. Okay, unless I have all right. Well, a few of them if you happen. Um, the first one, and I can never remember what the word is, but it's it basically translates to problem solver. It starts with an R, but I can never remember the word. Okay, but, all right. But not shockingly, that's something that I do because as a coach, it's it's what I lean into. I want to help problem solve and I want to help my clients figure it out. Um, God, I wish I had that sitting with me. If I'd known you were going to ask me that, I totally would have had it. Um, I'm wondering if it's sitting next to my desk, but I love strength finders. It's, um, it's one of my favorite things. And we're actually doing a workshop with our team where we're taking all of our team's top strengths and then laying them all together. So we can see how we're showing up as like a brand, which okay. is a little, That's great. Fun little thing to layer over. That's great. So, I wish well, I could as remember you're, the other as you're looking for yours, I'll, I'll tell you mine. Yeah, uh, which you got. Uh, competitor, uh, or competition, I guess I would say. Uh, command, which is competition. I always, I always grew up thinking kind of it, more of my spirituality tradition. Competition was seen as a negative thing. And so right. when I saw it in the context of Strength Fighter, I go, oh, no, 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 yeah. I mean, I am competitive with other people, but I'm competitive with myself really more than anything to kind of keep yeah. getting better. Command, if there's any lack of leadership, I'm going to step in. Um, uh, let's see, activator, if something needs to be done, I'm on it. Uh, input. I love getting input from others on, you know, how to make things better. And then the fifth one was uh, futuristic seeing things. Okay. I like it. Okay. Uh, I found mine. Okay, good. Okay. So number one is restorative and that's the one that's like problem solver restorative. The word doesn't make sense to me. That's why I can never remember it. Um, the second one is significance, uh, which I think is like, you want your work to be meaningful and, Fortunately, with Hatch Tribe, I've now found that. I didn't have that, though, in prior iterations of life and in career. So to me now, like living that, I'm like, of course, now it's a top one. Um, Learner is one of mine, which makes sense. I mean, I'm like a book geek. I have, I just, I'm constantly in, you know, learning mode. Um, Discipline which to me seems funny, but I am pretty disciplined about my schedule and routines and like keeping myself motivated and whatever. And the last one is activator. So I have that one in common with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. What's funny about this too, is I took this probably eight or nine years ago when I was in the corporate world and my top five strengths were totally different. And 
it's interesting to me because of course, as my life has changed, like my role has changed entirely. Like I was doing a very different job than I'm doing right now. And so I thought originally, well, surely they will stay the same, like futuristic and strategic had been in my top five before. And they're still around like futuristic is number six for me and strategic is number 11, but they've just changed. And these other ones have risen up, which I think is so fascinating. That's cool. That's cool. Um, when you were first starting your business, what do you wish you would have done differently? Your first business, I think, were you in event management or event planning? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, we were producing very large scale festivals and events. So if you picture like a thousand to 4,000 people, like those size of events and things for the public. And, um, what I wish that I had known is that I could have gone smaller. And I don't necessarily mean like the number of people at, in attendance at the events, but there were things that we were just trying to do at like a 100% level, a plus, 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 plus. And it didn't have to be that complex. And we give were doing you, it. An example. Of it. So first, first festival we did was called Charleston beer garden. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And so this was a beer festival that very much was kind of bringing together the, the skill set I had working in the beer business and then the craft beer, which of course was exploding at the time. This was about like eight years ago. And so we had just like gone gangbusters. We're like, we're going to get a, um, local, um, plant shop. What do you call those places? Uh, I want to say greenery. Oh, nursery. Nursery. Thank you. So we went to all these nurseries and we were like, we need plants. Like we have to have plants so we can make these beer gardens really look like beer gardens. And and we, we wanted it to look amazing. And so we filled up a U-Haul full of like palm trees and all these other plants so that we could make it just so sexy. And I will tell you when we got out there, we were like, well, that was a lot of work and we had to load them back up and take them back. And it was like, (laughs) it was that weekend. It was like a hundred degrees, no joke. And so it was miserable and it really didn't change the experience that people Mm. had. Like it was kind of a nice to have, but not a necessary. So I I often encourage early entrepreneurs to just see, is there a smaller version or a simpler version that you can bring to market? Because even if we're not talking festivals, let's say you're talking like, I want to sell a course. Well, can we just take it down to the most simplified piece? Because oftentimes we're just making it more complex or we think we need to deliver more for our audience when we really don't. It's oftentimes just a very simple solution, um, but we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. And I'm like, no, just pull it back. Like come at it from 75% and it's probably going to be okay. And I why, wish that I'd known that. Why do you think that is? Is it is it out of insecurity? Is it a desire to over-deliver? Is it because you really like plants? Is it, you know, like what? <laughs> not, you know, not necessarily yeah. why you did that, but why do we yeah. do that as entrepreneurs trying to kind of max out? You know what I think it is? It's until we, I just call it imposter syndrome, you know? And I I think your, your listeners probably are familiar with this, but if not, I'll just explain it in, in my two cents. You know, when you're stepping into the role of an entrepreneur, you haven't fully put on that suit yet. You know, you haven't totally embraced it. You haven't embodied it. You haven't owned that title, you know, so you're trying to prove it. You're trying to prove that you're a legitimate business owner, that people should buy from you, that they can trust you, that they can spend money with you. And I think what we do is we just, we overcorrect and we just try to provide so much value so that people will see us as being valuable and want to buy from us. Mm -hmm. And we just go over the top and it's so unnecessary, but we you know, you don't know another way yet, you know, and you haven't learned to stand confidently and like, yes, 
I own this business and I'm really freaking good at it, mm-hmm. you know, because we haven't done it yet. We're not really standing firmly in our shoes. A lot of that seems to play out in terms of pricing as well, because it's not only oh, yeah. over delivering the amount that you're delivering, but like, it's like, oh, pricing at the same time. Yeah. Way under pricing, mm-hmm. way under pricing. Without how, a doubt. How do you coach the entrepreneurs that you're working with on the value that they're bringing to the table versus the price that they're putting on that? Yeah, this, this is funny. This question's coming up a lot lately. And I think, you know, it often starts with how do I price? And, and my philosophy on this is you do want to do research for sure. You know, we want to have a sense for whatever it is that we're selling. Um, what price is it being sold at in your own city? for similar businesses or Mm -hmm. cities outside of yours. What is it being sold for and getting a sense for what's included. So not only the actual price, but actual, like what's included in that price. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think from there, it's also a little bit of gut and intuition, you know, because we need to lean on our own understanding of who we are, the experience that we have, what we bring to the table and what we believe our time is worth. And I think, you know, if you're selling services commonly, there's the whole, like, what do you want to make in a year divided by the number of hours that you're going to work in the entire year? And then that's a base rate for what you might want to use. And I think it's a useful place to start. And it's like a, it's a figure that you can use, but it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's, a little bit of an art, you know, it, it, there's not a hard science to how we price. It is a bit of an art, but I think to me, the key is let's get it out there and get the market to react to it. And, and by that, I mean, let's really go sell what we're doing and stay firm in our price. And let's see if we get responses that are yes, because if we do, our price is okay. Mm-hmm. But if we get a, eh, I don't know, and we're getting that from a hundred percent of people we sell to, and they're saying your pricing is way too high. We may have actually priced too high. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, if we're getting yeses really, really fast, we actually have probably priced too low. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. For the last 11 years, I've done communications and marketing for, uh, nonprofits, for profits and across the board. And people yeah. will oftentimes ask me, well, what's your price for X? And I go, mm-hmm. well, it just, it depends, you know, and it's the person who is just price shopping, of course. And, yeah. um, and I always tell them, I go, I, I, I never, I never bargain. Like you're never going to talk me down. Like the price is the price. And that's good, good advice. And if you, you know, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, totally. Okay. Like totally. Yeah. Okay. Now it's probably because I've been in a position where I haven't been desperate to need, you know, like that on the moment <laughs> where if, it, if I, if I did need it, it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take 50 bucks, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it is that confidence though. It's that confidence in the value that you're bringing and the confidence also in your bank account and what you are in need of. Before we continue the conversation, I want to ask you for a quick favor. Will you subscribe to the inspiration rising podcast on the iTunes podcast app on your phone? Now it's also available wherever you listen to podcasts. All you have to do is search for Inspiration Rising. Click subscribe, 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 subscribe. Why? So you won't miss a single inspiring episode. We search for the most inspiring guests to help you rise up in your life, love, and leadership. And you don't want to miss out. So subscribe and then leave a quick review. Click some stars, preferably five, and leave a sentence telling me what you enjoyed the most. All right, 
let's jump back in to the conversation. So when you were starting your first business, what did you knock out of the park? Like, what did you just really crush on where you go, you know, I really got this right though. Yeah, I um, am a organizational whiz. Uh, and I think that that served me well. So when in our first business, you know, we were producing large scale festivals. And when you're producing an event for 4000 people, you've got to be well organized. And that's a nine month to 12 month runway to get an event of that size off the ground. So you know, I got really good at figuring out what we needed to do and when we needed to do it and building a system for that and having a full-blown Excel spreadsheet and color coding and all the things. And we needed that, you know, it was the organization that helped us make that happen. And that's not everyone's skill set, but I would say in that industry, it's necessary and it serves me really well even to this day. But of course, the other side of that is that sometimes I can get to process focused and sort of lose sight of the other side, which is like, are we really talking to our customers and our clients and making sure we're focused on them because that's ultimately who we're serving. And so, you know, I've learned my lesson on that. I've snapped at a few people at a festival before, you know, and been like, wow, that was really not cool. But I was stressed out and, you know, <laughs> but you learn, you know, you, you live and you learn. Yeah. Yeah. But what that goes back to that you were crushing it in that area because that was your strength and you were leaning into that strength. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it served me well, but I think, you know, you, you grow as you spend more time running your business and you learn the things where you're like, I got this, but also where I don't have this down. And then it's at that point, it really becomes the question of how are you going to go get the things that you don't have? You know, so can you hire for it or outsource for it or, um, can you learn it? And how quickly can you learn it? Because you might not have a whole year to figure it out, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it, you have the right resources at your disposal and at hand, you know, to make sure you can shore up potentially the weaknesses that you do have. Mm -hmm. So you're coaching quite a few entrepreneurs. What are you seeing as the, the common hurdles? And I'd probably say mm -hmm. earlier on in the process, because, you know, with different times and different size businesses, there are different common hurdles. But as people are listening going, okay, I'm thinking about stepping into this arena. What are the hurdles that I need to be aware of and be thinking about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I will say what sits on, I mean, first of all, let me back up. I think typically an entrepreneur will come in and have a pretty good idea of what they need help with. And, and I'll, I'll pick their brain enough, you know, mm -hmm. I ask a bunch of questions and they can surface up some stuff that they know they're challenged with. They're feeling the pain. They are. And it falls into two camps always. There are the things that are practical knowledge. Like for example, I feel like this business is out of control. I don't have my hands around it. That could be an indicator. We need like a system or a process to control some things. Mm -hmm. But the other side almost always is mindset related, you know, so it's something that's happening between our ears. That's really affecting how we're showing up. It's affecting the work that we're doing. It's affecting the results that we're getting. And almost always sitting on the back of that is fear of something. You know, so it's like the fear of hiring my first employee, the fear of asking for help, the fear of getting it wrong, the fear of putting it out there and being judged, the fear of insert fear here. And there's not a single one of us that's immune to that. So it doesn't matter whether you're just getting started, you're going to have your own set of fears, 
or if you're 10 years down the road and your business is growing and evolving, there is a new set of fears. Um, but to me, I want to get to that. So when I'm working with clients, it's like, let's tease apart because there are practical things we need to solve, but I want to know what lies beneath because that's the stuff that's keeping you up at night. It's mm-hmm. in your ears. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So fear, fear of all of those firsts, those are huge mm-hmm. fear of feeling out of control that could lead, that could be part of the systems issue. Um, yeah. And so how, how do you coach people then each fear is different, but how do you then, you know, okay, you've identified the fear. What's the next step? Yes. So for me, fear is replaced, you know, because fear is doubt, doubt's replaced through action. And so what I want to do is figure out what's the thing we need to do to build your confidence. It's always an action step. It's never more thinking. So let's get you out of rumination and get you into taking action steps in your business. And so to me, it's just practical. It's like, let's, okay, we understand what's happening now. Practically, what do we need to do to get you moving forward? Hmm. Because I don't want you to continue thinking about this and like just mind screwing it to death. It's like, let's go. Let's figure this thing out. Um, so it, it differs depending on what the fear is and what's showing up actually in the business. But I will tell you, it always leads to an action step into moving okay. it forward. Um, and as soon as we can get into action, we now have data and data is important to make decisions with. So like, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And what I ask my clients always to do is like, let's just put on like our experimenter hat and go out and give it a whirl. Like let's release expectation for results and let's just go do the thing whatever that is. So if it's making sales calls, for example, like, Oh, dreadful, like, let's just go do it. Who cares what happens? And let's just see what happens. And usually it's good stuff. It's like, Oh my God, like someone said yes, or someone introduced me to so-and-so, or it wasn't as bad as I thought. Oh, great. That's awesome. You want to keep doing that now? Yeah. So we, we break the cycle by getting them into action. Yeah. That's so good. Um, connected to that fear is, is pain. And I recently watched a video that you uh, put out a couple months back that says you were asking the question, what pain are you willing to endure to reach your goals? Mm -hmm. What pain are you willing to endure to reach your goals? Why would you say that's an important question to ask ourselves as we're starting, whether a business or a project or something new? It's because things that are new are uncomfortable and we're going to have to become best friends with discomfort in order to get there. And there are, like we were talking earlier, there are sometimes sacrifices we have to make. And sometimes they're short term, you know, it could be like, I need to sacrifice cable. It's our joke for, you know, three months, but sometimes they're bigger. Like, you know, I'm going to need to move into a smaller place so that I can decrease my expenses because I really want to see this dream become a reality. And I need to cut the amount of money that's going out the door for my own lifestyle every single month, Mm. knowing full and well, what we're trying to build is something that's so much bigger that allows us to live a bigger life down the road. And, you know, some people are not willing to make sacrifices. They want to keep living that, that big life that they have, and they may not have the money in the bank to then fully fund their business. Or they say, I don't have the time. I want to spend, you know, only 10 hours of my life working on this business. Well, that's cool, but your business will only grow to a certain size if that's the time contribution you have to give. Mm -hmm. So I think there will always be some amount of sacrifice. And, and, in my mind, I can't imagine that there's not, it's, it's just like in life, you know, like and no matter what we're doing, there's, we're choosing every day, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy. And some things get full blown a hundred percent and some things get 50%. Mm-hmm. And that's okay though. 
but I think it's, you know, we got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's mm-hmm. just it. And as a business owner, you're uncomfortable a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I leadership expert, John Maxwell, just heard him say the other day that, um, everything worthwhile is uphill. And I hated that. I was like, this is the worst. This is the worst statement ever. Um, everything, but it's true. Yeah. Everything worthwhile is uphill. I thought, well, when's the downhill? When's the coasting? When is the, you know, it gets easy. For me, the pain is less about the lifestyle change or the amount of hours. That could be the case for some people. Mm-hmm. The pain is being required to do things that I don't want to do. Yeah. That doesn't mean paperwork, although that wants to do that. Um, It means having conversations that I don't want to have. It means stretching myself to go connect with someone in a way that I go, I'm an introvert. Like this feels painful. I don't like, oh, you know, Uh, it could be uh, making certain phone calls. It could be letting someone go. It could be. Um, networking, it could be right. I mean, all these Absolutely. things. Absolutely, we They're all have. Very real. Yeah, we all have different lists of things that make us feel uncomfortable or that cause us pain, and um, those are all those are all the things. I'm not sure that you can answer that question. What pain are you willing to endure to reach your goals until you are faced with that pain? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, right. And I think it evolves too because your your point about you know, having to let someone go is a really good example. Like it shows up and you're not anticipating it necessarily. And then it's there and you're like, man, I got to deal with this now. Like I am being called upon to do this work. I need to do this and I need to handle it well. And I've got to figure it out and I've never had to do it before. And I'm going to figure it out. Like if we've, if we've gotten to that point where we can build up our confidence enough, we know that no matter what comes our way, we'll figure it out because we have enough people around us that can help provide insight. We know where to go to get the right answers. We're not going to sit and stew on it alone. Um, and we trust ourselves, you know, we trust ourselves that we will figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm all, I, I, I'm almost thinking too about this pain because I, I have pain all the time. You know what I mean? Like I just part of life, like there's things yeah. that I, people go, uh, they ask me, well, how do you do these films or how do you do this stuff that you do? And I go, well, I just do a lot of stuff I don't want to do. And, yes. and it sucks. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't want to sure. do X, Y, and Z. Yesterday, this is a great example. Yesterday, I'm thinking about my interview with you. I'm trying to get some social media stuff out. I'm prepping for some other interviews. Well, I have a sales agent who wants to rep uh, two out of my last four films. And he's got three contracts in front of me and two other documents and all these files that he needs. And I'm going, I don't want to do this. This is the worst. This is so painful. I'm thinking, wait, (laughs) I'm saying to somebody who's wanting to represent me Uh to get my films out into the world that I don't want to do this. This is ridiculous, but I did it. You know, you muscled up and you just get it done. And uh, I, I find that a lot of people don't want to do the things that they don't want to do. Yeah. The biggest hurdle. Yeah. And I think too, it, you know, it depends on the nature of your business. I mean, sometimes there will be things that you may forever need to do. So the the example we always joke about is like handling your books, like updating QuickBooks and sending invoices and doing that. Like that's nobody's idea of fun unless you're an accountant, I think. Right. And 
it's a necessary evil for many of us until you get to the point where you hire someone. And a lot of times, you know, when people say that they are looking to hire and they're like, where do I start? I'm like, what do you want to get off your plate? Let's start there. Let's get rid of the task you hate because there are people who want to do those tasks and it doesn't have to be you. So let's go pay someone to do them. And that gives you more time working on the things that you're really joyful about and that are more in like your zone of excellence. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. The other path that I try to take in those moments is a path of thankfulness to go, wow, I I have a big problem here. I've I've got somebody who wants to help me and they're asking for all these things. How how can I be thankful for that? Or how can I be thankful that I have money that needs to be accounted for or that needs to, you know, it's that path of thankfulness. Yeah. Good point. Reduce the pain. Yeah. Um, All right. So, um, in a lot of the things that I've heard you talk about and read about Hatch Tribe, there's this sense of women coming together to be in community, to support one another, to encourage one another. And yet, it seems like a trait that a lot of entrepreneurs have is the trait of competition or being competitive. Like, I'm gonna, I've got to root out the competition. I've got to um, go up against them. I've got to research them and then go up against them. And so how, how does that play out for the women that you're bringing together? How do you deal with the competition that I would think we wouldn't say is necessarily a bad thing, but yet it can have negative ways that it plays out. How do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, with Hatch Tribe, our core value is community. And so, you know, the, the person who is part of our community is someone who greatly values being part of that, being part of a bigger picture and knowing that we're better together than we are apart. And it doesn't mean, of course, that we don't have members that are competitive in nature and competitive in spirit, but we simply don't make space for that inside of our conversation. So it's like, sure, like we, a great example is there are plenty of people who are in the marketing world that are part of Hatch Tribe, but yet they all play nicely together. They share knowledge with one another. But at the end of the day, if they're bidding for a piece of business and presenting a client, they're probably competing against one another to get it. And it's all in good spirit and in good fun. But you know, our, our core value very much is like, let's build this as a tribe because we want you to have a place to come and exchange data, exchange information, make connections, build your network. And, and oftentimes even in competing businesses, they're sometimes able to refer clients because they get someone who's not the quite right fit for them. So they say, let me go give it to this other person. And it's a beautiful referral. So I think we see the spirit of competition and people that are really hungry to succeed, but also their bigger mission and their bigger value system as being part of a community. And, and that's what we really do. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, obviously, I want to get to how people can be involved with Hatch Tribe, but you're in several cities right now. But as people are listening to this in different places around the world, that they don't have access to some, a physical connection with Hatch Tribe, mm-hmm. how would you suggest, whether they are an entrepreneur already or they're thinking about starting their own business, how do they develop that community? Because it can feel so isolating working on your own business. How could they develop that for themselves? Yeah, without a doubt. So um, we'll talk about Hatch Tribe in a minute, but I think when, if you're an entrepreneur right now or thinking about becoming a business owner and you're just like, where are my people? That the first thing to do is ask. And that's innocently enough how Hatch Tribe started. I mean, I put a post on my own personal Facebook page and said, Hey, for all you out there that are entrepreneurs living in Charleston, would you all be interested in getting together and hanging out? And I don't know, having a conversation about what it's like to own a business. And the response was overwhelming. So I think 
if you're really craving connection, but you don't have those people in your orbit, start by just asking the question and use the platforms you use personally. So like go to Facebook, go to Instagram, put it on LinkedIn. Um, just work your network and find some people who are doing that. And, and what I find, like I'll go out into coffee shops in town and I'm like, Oh, there's three or four people from hatch tribe that are like totally hanging out and they're having coffee and they're building their own connections. And nothing makes me more excited than to see that happening without it taking our events to necessarily bring them together. Like they've met through hatch tribe or through our virtual community. And then they're there like in human form doing the thing. And I'm like, yes, that's it. That's awesome. So really, you got, you got to seek it out yourself. You got to you figure do. out a way to make those connections happen. And it can start small, even just with one other person. Really, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And it snowballs really quickly. I mean, I think people, you know, my perspective too. I mean, I the first business I owned, I looked around and I'm like, where are the other women entrepreneurs? Like, I didn't know them. I didn't see them. I had no idea they existed. And when we made that call and really asked where they were, they were coming out of the woodworks and droves and like, Oh wow, this has been a need. Like people needed an opportunity to connect with one another. And we just had no idea that all of us were out there doing this similar thing. And we were probably all working in our houses and thinking I'm the only one and I'm isolated and alone, but we weren't, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we just didn't know one another yet. Um, so you're not alone. I can assure you that. And there's probably someone who's like right down the street from you. Who's thinking the same thing. It's just a matter of making that connection. So you can pal up. That's awesome. All right. So tell people no matter where they live, how can they benefit from what you've created with hatch tribe? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our mission really is to touch the lives of a million women entrepreneurs through Hatch Tribe. And in order for us to do that, we knew we needed a virtual solution. So while we do have live events and we're currently in three cities and probably expanding to other cities later this year, our virtual platform is called the Member Circle. And um, you can go to hatchtribe.com slash member circle and find all the details there. But it is where we engage and we do what we do live, but we make it happen in a virtual way. So it doesn't matter whether you live in California or Charleston or Italy, um, you can be a member in our platform. And, and really, there's two things that we do and we live out. One is building the connection. So it's an immediate network, a place to come, get right connections, get referrals, ask for advice, get the things that you need from a, a wide array of business owners who are living it and doing it. And I will say it's everyone from newbies that are just getting started to entrepreneurs that have been in business 25 years plus plus. Um, And then the other side is really cultivation because what we know is that nothing really prepares you for the business of being a business owner. And so we want to teach you the things that you need to learn, but also do it in a short, shorter way. Um, So we bring on mentors and we have masterclasses, workshops, and then on-demand courses to teach you the stuff that you need to know so that you can run a better business and learn it quick because you know you don't have a lot of time as yeah, yeah so that's great. all that plays out there and it's you know a wonderful way to make new connections whether it's in your city or elsewhere but i think you know for for getting advice it's spot on you know you don't have to go google like go ask other business owners and let them help you uh, as yeah. opposed to googling blind yeah. Yeah. And now member circle, is that open all the time or is, are there certain windows of enrollment or how does that work? Yeah. So we open it a couple times per year right now. It's on a wait list. So, you know, depending on when this airs, if you go to our site, you'll see a wait list. So just enter your email there and then we'll open it up. And I think the, the next opening probably will be around this spring. So I'm thinking around April. So great. Yeah. And obviously there's an investment required to be a part of that member circle. And back to what you said, that you have to invest money in order to take your skills to the next level. You can go Google all you want. 
But you're going to find random bits of information all over the place. But to be able to have a community and the community is, is really what's so valuable. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, you know, there are, there are boatloads of free resources and I'm not going to knock it for one bit. If you can find a good free resource that works for you and you can get what you need, great. But I think what we found over time is that when people invest, they show up big, um, they're invested in themselves or invested in their business. And, and with that comes a certain quality and caliber of, of consult, you know, so if you are looking for advice for your business, I'd much rather get it from people who are also invested in their own businesses than really putting it out in like, say a free Facebook group. We, we don't necessarily know uh, the people that we're getting advice from and whether or not we should take it as valuable or not. So mm-hmm. just my two cents. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I love it. Well, I love what you're doing. I'm very attracted to what you guys are up to <laughs> and that you. you're in three cities, which is great. And you're expanding. Um, so I just think it's going to keep growing. I think a million's too small. Got to increase Whoa. that number. You know, we can go to a billion, I guess. I don't know if I'll live to see it happen, but. <laughs> you got a lot of years in front of you. You're good. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for taking time to, to hang today, Hillary. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been awesome. If you've been inspired or learned something from this episode, do yourself a favor and tell a friend. By sharing a learning with someone else, you'll actually be solidifying it in your own mind and heart and more likely to implement it in your own life. Tell them about our conversation and let them know that they can listen to the Inspiration Rising podcast on the iTunes podcast app on their phone. Check out our website at www.insporising.com. That's I-N-S-P-O rising.com and on all social media platforms as Inspo rising. Now, as you go out about your day, may you be inspired to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. I'll talk to you next time.